Well, our names are Teresa and Gumby. Welcome to Escaping Society. We wrote our own song so we wouldn't have to pay for anyone else's copyright infringement. And we live in a van and we eat from the trash. Making this podcast open for cash. You better listen up because we probably won't last. Because we can't compete with nonsense. Hypnotizing nonsense. Welcome to Season 10 of Escaping Society. This is Mile Marker 109. And I'm Teresa. And I'm Gumby. And we're doing our podcast in the dark because it's like 4.30 in the afternoon. (laughs) Oh, 5.30. Oh, it's so late. We're about to go to sleep. It's winter. And uh, this is kind of a check-in from all the weeks that we have been off just, like, doing stuff instead of the podcast. Gumby's getting something ready, so I'll keep talking. Uh, We had, for the first time ever, a visitor out here that wasn't family. (laughs) Is that right, Gumby? No, we've had visitors that weren't family, but we've never had a visitor that was uh, a listener to our podcast that we'd never met in real life before. Okay. All right. So the first person that was not family, but we could consider her family now, I guess, Um, because she's basically like seen all of our business. You don't have much of a vetting process. (laughs) I don't even consider you family yet. Wow. Um, So we, yeah, we had a visitor who also listens to our podcast and that was pretty cool. Um, she, uh, she was traveling for, um, working on some farms, working some, uh, different, is it volunteer jobs that she does? Yeah, woofer, and I forget what it stands for. Oh. Um, so yeah, Gabe, she, uh, and she brought, lo- like, the best, most decadent desserts and this really, really good bread from this French bakery, um, in Durham, which... I had walked in but never purchased anything from, so I was glad of that, and we had some spaghetti around the fire, because nothing says hobo dinner like a pot of spaghetti. Mm-hmm. Really good spaghetti. And, um, gosh, I, uh, yeah, I was just, like, really enjoying having somebody to uh, interact with that that had their mind on or their brain on. And I was enjoying Teresa having somebody to talk to that wasn't me. Yay! And um, that same day, we were also visited by some seagulls that are migratory, and their their flight path is right over where we sit at our campfire. Why, hi, lesbian seagull. Some of them may have been lesbian, but I'm not sure all of them were. I could tell, by the way, one of them was flying. That one was a lesbian. Oh. Um, you but remember yeah. that from Beavis and Butthead? Yes. Okay. Was it Beavis and Butthead? Pretty sure. So, yeah, so Gabe was here for that, and um, I normally, like, we see these seagulls uh, about about the same time each year. I think I wrote it in my calendar last year, my little hobo calendar that I'm making um, of all the different things that hobos should know about, And uh, but there was a smaller group of the seagulls, and they didn't stick around, so I thought, wow, that's really sad. I wonder if it's because of the drought that we're having. 
uh, since we've been back from the mountains, it's rained all of, what, two times? And uh, luckily we were able to get some water from that one time that we didn't, like, miss it, <laughs> miss the rainstorm. And, um, yeah, the, the seagulls actually came back on my dad's birthday, which was just a few days ago. So that was really special, too. And uh, Gumby, do you have anything else to add about Gabe's visit? Um, well, the seagulls have got me thinking, like, it's kind of cool because we've noticed, like, around this time of year, we often see, like, at least one day where we'll see a band of seagulls that, like, um, like this year, and fairly often, I'd say, like, that band comes right over our heads, I mean, if we were like 100 feet in either direction, east or west, we'd be like kind of off to the side. So it's it's cool seeing this like flock of seagulls filter in right over our heads. And uh, yeah, I really love seeing that. Just these uh, seagulls passing by on their migration. And um, I don't even care if some of them, some of them are lesbians. I mean, yeah. I don't judge them for that. No. I just find them really beautiful. And uh, I... It's really none of my business what their sexual orientation is. Yeah. That's their business. But I'm really glad that they visit us and fly over. And, yeah, it's beautiful. And that's really true for anyone. I, I don't really care about their sexual orientation. Unless they make it a thing, yeah, I'd agree. And the, the one other thing that stands out about the seagulls is that they do this really cool dance that is... At times, last year, I saw them actually do a murmuration, like, start to swirl as they went to roost, I guess. I don't know where they go. If they go um, to the lake bed or if they go by the trees by the lake. But they do this really cool um, circular dance where they kind of, it's kind of like a square dance, I guess. They, they like, filter in between each other as they go in a circle up and down in the sky. It's hard to describe on a podcast. Yeah, and another thing that occurred to me, you were talking about how it hadn't rained. Yeah, this drought, like, keeps going. It's getting weird, you know. I just was uh, remembering an interview I heard. I think it was the propaganda report. Um, but they were talking to this guy that calls himself the Ice Age Farmer. And this was, like, last winter I heard this interview. And last winter was wet as hell. Um, but he was saying, you know, you get into all this stuff that's kind of like uh, chemtrails. I don't know what to think of chemtrails. There's certain things that I'm like... No, this isn't conspiracy theory. This is just, like, paying attention to shit. Then there's other things that's like, eh, I don't really believe that. And then there's stuff on the line that I'm like, I don't really know about. But he started talking about chemtrails and how, uh, you know, it's documented that they've done studies to try to control the weather. Um, I think this was done in China and the United States. And this was starting back in, like, I've even heard the 30s, but, like, the 50s. And he was predicting that... Um, they're going to try to make it where you can't grow your own food, that there's going to be a big food shortage and it's going to be weather related. And this was last winter. And um, yeah, now we're getting into this like really weird dry spell. And uh, yeah, it's just a lot to think about. I've heard people say like, I'm telling you, I'm telling you from my own experience, I used to see planes go overhead. And if this has got to do with like cold air and hot air and everything, I'd watch contrails which are the natural thing that come behind a plane, and they disappear. These things that are happening now stay in the sky. It's different. I don't know what's going on. You know, no no theory, conspiracy or otherwise, but it's different. And, uh, yeah, man, I don't know, just stuff to think about, stuff that I notice, and I'm like, well, I'll just file that away because I don't really have any information to really... Uh, 
Uh, confirm or deny my uh, observations. Oh, I just thought of something about Gabe's visit. She wanted to see the things that we were working on, or in my case, always things that I'm not working on. Um, so Gumby, what, if, what are some things that you've been working on during the break between the podcast? I've been working on trying to figure out what the hell these long trails behind these planes are when they fly overhead. <laughs> you thought you derailed me, didn't you? <laughs> I, just, I just rolled my eyes. But... Yeah, well, okay, let's switch over to skills then. Um, but for skills, man, I've really been inspired uh, lately, especially this winter. Um, just all the fucking craziness going on, and, and more and more I'm... I'm oh, man, it's hard to... Uh, where to start with the metaverse, the fucking vaccine mandates, um, wokeism, um, just it, from so many different directions, like... I've never been more sure that I don't belong in this culture and that society is heading in a direction that I do not want to go. And, um, you know, it's just, it underscores the fact that the only way for me to uh, not have to be forced to go along with the herd in a direction that I don't want to go is to have skills to do that myself. So I've been focusing on... uh, you know, I was thinking like, well, where do I want to start? A few things I've learned about how to learn stuff is I got to go with what inspires me. Um, if I just try to do the practical thing, you know, like shelter, water, fire, food, um, I don't know. It, it I, I get a little uh, progress, but I kind of peter off because I run out of uh, steam. But uh, yeah, I made a list of all the things that kind of like inspired me. And then I organized it because I like making lists and I organized it into like kind of a um, progression that made sense to me. So I started off with trying to learn stuff that would keep bugs away. And by then it was cold weather, so there weren't many bugs around. So that kind of like, <laughs> you know, I'll have to revisit that when it gets to be warm weather again. Um, but then I got into, and this is where we did our season finale where I was at when we were talking about nail knives. And I was talking about, uh, we're talking about gathering rabbit poop and messing around with glue. Well, I got a lot better with glue. I started making glue that really worked really well and figuring out like, oh, you're supposed to heat up whatever you put the glue in again to let it melt and kind of seep into all the things. So um, I got a lot more practice. I uh, upgraded from nails to a piece of rebar and made a pretty good knife, but still pretty low carbon content. So it doesn't stay sharp long. Oh, and just in time, because the kitchen knife that I'd been using, the one that was a at some point, store-bought, you know, like somebody gave it to us or we found it. The handle broke. Yeah. So now and, we're full-on Gumby knives. And knives one of the of- things that inspired this last, like, uh, push for me to start getting into survival skills is we were getting ready for an episode that we actually never did um, on Gandhi. And there's something Gandhi said, like, uh, make your own homespun and wear it with pride. And I don't know, just it hit me at the right time. I was in the right mood, and it's like... Yeah, that's what I need to do. I need to start making my own shit. And just if it's even barely good enough, start replacing stuff. You know, like, that's a really good way to start getting my independence. So, uh, like Teresa said, you know, the nail broke. So hopefully I can make something out of metal that's, like, maybe not as good as, like, a store-bought butter knife, but will do the job. And um, if I start using it, if I start relying on it, chances are I'll get better at better at it because it'll wear out. I'll make another one. I'll get more practice. It'll I'll incorporate it into my life. 
I think that's a really important thing. So experimenting with it, you know, I got better at like all the little nuances, all the troubleshooting of how to use glue, coal burning a handle, different ways to make a handle, upgraded to rebar, which is a better knife. And uh, my last knife I tried to make was with a railroad spike that's got higher carbon. Um, pulled a couple out of some railroad tracks. So if you hear anything about a train getting derailed or anything, that wasn't me. Um, <laughs> but that wasn't you. That wasn't me. Oh, okay. But I pounded that and uh, it broke. So I think I didn't heat it up enough. But anyway, this is just kind of probably stuff not too interesting unless you're doing blacksmithing yourself. And now moving on to wooden stone tools, wood and stone tools, not wooden stone. Um, but with like flint napping, it's really good to start with uh, the bottoms of bottles because glass actually is like kind of the perfect rock. Like the closer a rock is to glass, the easy, more easily you can nap it into Ooh. different things. So glass represents sort of the ideal. Um, so it's a great way to get started in practice. And uh, made my first, like I think, usable arrowhead. Um, made a little brown heart for Teresa out of a brown beer bottle bottom. <laughs> um, yeah, I've been making all this wood stuff, like learned how to make chairs that are kind of falling apart now, but you got to start somewhere. That's another thing I've learned. You got to make those mistakes. Don't get discouraged. Like every mistake you make, you don't have to repeat it. That's one you can just check off. Like, all right, got through that rite of passage, then the next chair will be better. Um, so all the things I can make with wood and stone is where I'm at right now. And starting today, I'm going to start trying to learn drop spindle. So my kind of, I don't know, the way I've been approaching it is I've been making tools, 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 wood, stone, metal, tools. Because I figure with tools, you can use the tools to go on to other things. And now I'm starting to move into materials with the drop spindle. I can make my own yarn and eventually get back to knitting and crocheting. And I told Gumby every time he shaves his beard, he should save the hair and then he could make a shirt out of his own hair. Oh, I'm not kidding. Anytime like there's any kind of hair around, like if we brush Sherlock or whatever, I definitely am planning on keeping it. Not that I want to make like a Sherlock hat. He's 12 years old and he smells like shit. Aww. But it's practice. It's practice because someday, you know, like if there's nothing but old dog fur around, I want to know how to make that hat because that might be something I'm grateful for. If there's one thing I've learned doing this hobo stuff, um, there is a time and place for everything. Something that you might turn away from today that you'd think, oh, I don't want anything to do with that. In another situation, you would be so thankful for that. So, yeah, I would I would uh, wear something made out of my beard hair. <laughs> And uh, one day we went for a walk, a really nice walk, down um, this road that's located in like a nature preserve area. And not only found a really good, um, in good shape cedar stump, but also found some gourds that were growing in this garden. And it was kind of like the garden had not really been tended to. So we picked up the cedar stump. And I carried, Gumby was carrying the stump. I was carrying the gourd and we walked back down this road, not looking like weirdos at all. And uh, I am making passively most of the time. Uh, I'm trying to dry out that gourd, which I just learned that they're probably best dried out on the vine, which I didn't know that. Um, so I've got it kind of in this hammock. It's like a gourd drying hammock now. <laughs> And it'll work or it won't. And if it doesn't, maybe I can at least salvage the seeds and grow some more. 
gourds. And I've been burning in that cedar stump to make a mortar and pestle so that I can more easily grind things like acorn, nut meat, and uh, dock seeds. And eventually, we have some whole bean coffee that we found in the dumpster. So that'll have to be ground up too. Yeah, and the way things are going, like I said, like I, I think of that Leonard Cohen song, um, Everybody Knows. <laughs> and he's got that line in there, Everybody Knows the War is Over, Everybody Knows the Good Guy's Lost. Mm. I kind of feel like that. I feel like the fight is over. Um, you know, people still talk about taking down civilization, the big fight. And yeah, I mean, it just seems childish to me. How are you going to do it? Like, you got to break free of it. If you can break free of it, you've done something. And that actually is attainable. But just sitting in there and your fucking electric lights and your indoor heating and talking about taking down civilization and not doing anything. I mean, it's I mean, why does I watch some porn and masturbate? It's probably more enjoyable. Um, but, yeah, like I feel like now is the time to push like your life depends on it because it does. Yeah. Whatever happens next, <laughs> like one of the things I'm realizing is I feel like we're right at the verge of the big divide. Like, you're either in or you are out. Um, a big, big uh, example of that would be the vaccine passports. You're either in, literally, like they're jamming, they're, they're forcing this experimental shit into your body, or you're out. You're not allowed in places. You're not part of society anymore. Um, the food's starting to disappear from the shelves. Um, this metaverse, oh my God, I guess we'll talk more about that. Um, I don't want to rush us with the way you've got it organized, but, uh, yeah, I think this thing is a big looming thing and the way technology is moving so fast, exponentially faster, it's always picking up speed. It's not just moving fast. It's getting faster and faster all the time. And, um, I remember what smartphones did to our civilization. I remember what it was like before people had cell phones. And then I remember once everybody had the damn smartphones everywhere from uh, walking into a fast food place to sitting at a bus stop to just seeing people on the street. It changed completely the way we interact with each other. So this metaverse thing, these Oculus, this virtual reality, I don't think hardly anybody has wrapped their mind around what this represents. And you're either in and if you're in, you're fucking in. I mean, this thing's going to suck you in. It is going to redefine your reality and uh, or unreality. And <laughs> if you're not going along with it, you better be ready to get the fuck out. So I'm pushing these survival skills like I've never pushed them before. I, I am so motivated because I'm not going along with it. I'm just not going to go along with it. I'm not fucking getting that shit jammed in my arm. I'm not going to let them tell me what the fuck to do with my own body. I'm not going to put on that goddamn Oculus. Um, I don't like what humanity has done to the fucking wild natural world around me. You think I'm going to step foot into a world that is literally made by man? Where humanity, these same assholes that have fucked up the wild world this much, are literally the gods of this world? You think I'm going to put a toe in that universe? Fuck you. I'm not going. And you watch. You watch how this goes. Right now, it seems like a neat new novel thing, just like the smartphone, just like the laptop, just like the internet. Watch how quickly they're going to have this available to everybody and they're going to make it 
more and more inconvenient not to have it until you are basically compelled to exist in this virtual universe. I want to know how to feed myself. I want to know how to make my own shit. I want to know I, I trust myself in the wild more than I trust myself in their universe. So that's my big push. That's my big motivation. And uh, one other thing I've learned about survival skills lately that I've been thinking about is it's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to f want to be a lot further along than where you are. Um, but I keep telling myself the important thing is not the speed in which I travel. It's the direction I'm going. If I can make one, um, one little bit of progress, you know, like every day, just learn something new. That's good. I'm doing all right. I'm making progress. Better if you can go faster, but you can't always go fast. But keep moving in the right direction. For instance, one of the things I have on my list is making a flute. You might say, what the fuck do you need a flute for? We're talking about an apocalypse here. You want to learn how to make a flute? But another thing I've learned about survival skills is they translate into a lot of things. If I can learn how to make a flute out of a piece of bamboo, I've learned about bamboo. I've learned a little bit about how to make the hole in the bamboo, which might involve coal burning. Um, I've learned about quite a few things that will help me with other skills as well. And what inspires me sometimes will help you in surprising ways. I don't know how, but if I'm inspired to make a fruit, fr a fruit, a flute, bet your ass somewhere down the road, I'm going to be glad I knew how to make that flute. <laughs> That kind of uh, fire has never failed me. If I feel that spark and I follow it, it will come back to help me somewhere. Um, so, yeah, following my inspiration and just making sure I'm making progress, even if it's not as fast as I'd prefer. And just to uh, – I was going to make a comment, but you were on such a roll. I didn't want to stop you. <laughs> um, this is kind of coming up for me because it's the season for – Normally, I would pick up some pet-sitting, house-sitting gigs, and it's not a lot of money. Um, sometimes it can be a surprising amount of money, but lately, because of the pandemic, people haven't been traveling as much, and I guess people, you know, maybe not wanting strangers in their house, um, haven't really been contacting me. But then, over the past couple weeks, I've been getting a lot of messages, mostly in the email um, some come through my Google voice phone number that uh, somebody helped me set up years ago. And Gumby talking about the like the speed in which this is accelerating. Uh, it used to be that if you responded to somebody from an email or even a text message the same day, even within like a couple hours, that was that was acceptable. Now, I respond if it's like an hour after the message, too late. It's too late. You missed it. They already got somebody. And I'm not sure if that's because there's a lot more people doing this pet sitting thing now. Maybe they've decided to, you know, resign from their adult job and just like take on a pet sitting job for a little bit of, you know, gas money or something. Or I don't know what, but it seems to me like there's a lot less uh, patience. There's a lot less time to correspond with people. And I think that's a product of having all the time these smartphones, whoa, having all the time the, uh, the phone in your pocket, you know, like it's constantly the screen right in front of you. I don't do that. So I'm not a part of this world anymore, it seems. I've, I've kind of been left behind once again.
Yeah, and that's what I was talking about with watching how smartphones changed our society. Like, uh, for a while, I wasn't looking for work. Um, <clears throat> I just, I was um, working enough to, as an outdoor educator, that, like, people would come looking for me. And all I had to do was say yes. And uh, so I never had to look for work. And then I started kind of like hadn't been working for a while and nobody was looking for me anymore. So for the first time in a long time, I had to go looking for work. And to my surprise, and this was several years ago, I wasn't eligible for a whole lot of jobs that I was eligible for before for the only reason that I didn't have a smartphone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was the only thing. I couldn't do delivery jobs. I'd done plenty of delivery jobs, new roads all around Durham. I was good at it, enjoyed it. Suddenly, they say you need a smartphone. They couldn't wrap their minds around why I didn't have a smartphone. They would ask me, like, well, why don't you have a phone? And I'd just say, I don't need it. I don't want it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was just like they were talking to a caveman. Like, they were asking, like, how come you don't wear clothes? I mean, it was, like, you, mystifying. You can't even do a job where you, like, take out garbage or clean up at a car wash because they require you to take pictures and, like, text them to the owner to make sure that you're staying on task and that everything looks good when you leave. And, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's it's a, t- uh, it's a tool, like, in both senses of the word. Sure, it's a great way to keep track of your employees, like, keep them on a really short leash. But it also, I feel like it just has really been this huge divide for people that just don't want to be a part of it. And I guess that's the price you pay, but maybe it's worth it. Yeah. Not just a way of keeping track of your employees. There's the, uh, you know, like, what would you call that? Watching people surveillance aspect of it, but like the delivery jobs, for instance, um, that was part of it. Of course, you know, you can track a, a smartphone and everything. You can keep track of your employees, but it was also because everyone else had bought into it. That was the way people expected to interact with their driver. They expected to have that kind of like, where's my food, the updates, the kind of thing. And, you know, somebody that has a smartphone. Um, And also, like, that was the way people would pull up maps and everything. They'd get places. They didn't, like, I don't know, the whole uh, concept of navigation has completely changed. So many aspects of how we interact with the world changed with the smartphone. And I'm looking at this metaverse, and, man, I've been trying to wrap my mind around the implications of this thing. Um, for one thing, if you don't see that the pandemic was part of this design to introduce the metaverse, you just don't want to see it. I mean, this big push to get us all inside and we suddenly get shoved over into all this computer shit. Everything's on Zoom now. Everything is on Zoom now. Um... Everything's get, I mean, it just happened so fast and it was like sold to us as this big emergency. Oh, it's to save lives. And like, <laughs> as if like there's this huge, awful thing happening. And still, you know, like I'm looking around and it's like two years in, I'm like, this looks like flu season. I don't see this big push to change the whole fucking world, but that's the reason they're giving us. Um, to push us into all this stuff. You know, we did these transhuman episodes and like we talked about post-human downloading people. Teresa and I were kind of, uh, you know, sometimes we'll talk about like, wow, what are some of the things that might be in the metaverse? Here's something. Imagine you put your little Oculus headset. I don't know what the fuck they call them. 
You put that thing on, you're in the virtual world, you're in the metaverse. Now, you could go to a concert and remember that story about people getting trampled, eight people at the concert, like, wow, the timing, just to keep us aware of how unsafe it is to congregate. Go to the these things in the metaverse with your friends and, you know, you're there with their avatars. Now, how long before somebody can come up with an avatar that, like, they could be doing something else and, like, let you hang out with their avatar? What's the difference between hanging out with a real flesh and blood person... In the metaverse. Well, a flesh and blood person behind the avatar, yeah. represented by an avatar, or a sophisticated program that, as far as you're concerned, acts, talks, looks, thinks, everything. Responds. Responds just, just like your friend. How long before you don't need anybody? Because you don't feel lonely. There's so many deep questions like that that I feel like people, for one thing, are failing to ask. And when they do ask it, they're looking at it in a kind of a science fiction-y, like, ooh, neato kind of way. And they're not digging into the existential uh, threat of this. Already, one of our biggest dangers, I feel like, one of the reasons why I moved into a fucking van and I want to be outside and I want to be around fires and I want to, like, work with my hands and learn how to, like, make glue and, and just all the stuff I'm trying to, to learn to, to directly connect with this world is because everything's moving into simulation. Mm-hmm. And this represents a huge leap. This is the edge of the cliff. This is it. This is like... Everything else has been like, ooh, this is a bad sign. Oh, I don't like the direction we're going. I really feel like this metaverse is the end of the train tracks. This is the big gaping cliff in front of us. This is the leap. This is where you either get the fuck off the train or you leap. You're either with them or you're against them. And um, I think that's one of the reasons why they feel bold enough to have this push about vaccine mandates. Because they realize you're either with them or you're against them. That's going to happen anyway. That was going to happen with this metaverse. And I feel like that's where we're at. So, yeah, this metaverse is hugely dangerous. Um, when we were doing the transhuman episodes, it was right before the Facebook announcement that they were going to change their name to Meta. And I guess the metaverse already, I mean, it was kind of already going by Different companies were involved in it. I obviously have no idea about it. When I've heard different companies are involved in the metaverse, but Facebook kind of got the drop of changing their name to Meta, so that's marketing. So yeah. So will always think, Metaverse, Meta. It's Facebook. just good for Facebook yeah. because of the name, the link. So, I mean, we didn't really see that Facebook name change coming, but it was kind of like... I don't know. It was just so timely for me to hear there's this really big push for everyone to just get this really cool new video game type thing. Hey, instead of Zoom calls where you see the person, like Gumby was saying, you could just have your avatar and like work in the virtual world. Like you could just be sitting in a really comfortable chair all day, but you're actually moving about in the metaverse doing whatever job you're supposed to be doing. And it could be, it could be interesting. It could be like meeting people at the water cooler and having discussions on a break time. I mean, 
I don't know what this thing is going to be like, but I feel like it's going to start to encompass everything. That way it pulls more people in. And they're already pushing work into the metaverse, the economy into the metaverse, play into the metaverse, unlimited play. I mean, this virtual reality is going to get so sophisticated. And here's another thing about it. I know that if I put this thing on, this Oculus, I'm going to be amazed. I'm going to be impressed. I'm probably going to want to go back. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying at all that it's a bad thing. I'm saying just like heroin. I know if I stick that fucking needle in my arm, I'm going to feel unmitigated bliss. But it's bad for me. It's bad for me. So I don't do it. This thing is, I think, going to have the same kind of drug-like compulsion I mean, that's why they're getting us so ready for it. They're like, we know that you're going to want to work here. We know you're going to want to play here. And we know you're going to want to connect here. I mean, when I keep hearing all these stories about uh, how they're setting this thing up, I mean, they're really planning on being there quite a bit. What do you think, Teresa? I also think that quite a few of the events that are happening, at least here in the United States, but all around the world, there's all sorts of crazy things happening, is in part to shift our focus to divide, like division, once again, dividing all of us into smaller and smaller and smaller groups. And when you put that together with this pandemic uh, and the way that this metaverse, you know, virtual reality has been described. It's kind of making actual reality not sound so good. And I'm really, I just want to say this, I'm really scared for this youngest generation and the generations, if there are any, after them, because I don't know if they're going to be able to tell the difference between what reality they're in. I mean, here, Gumby, I'll, I'll let you jump back in here. Have you ever felt like you had a memory, but then you couldn't quite remember if that was just like in a movie you watched or like if you had a dream or or like you just remember something different, but it feels like reality to They've you? They've already done studies on that and they have a word that I didn't write down. And I can't recall, but this has already become a condition that has a name that people can't tell the difference between uh. virtual reality and reality. This is before the big unveiling where we get pushed into it. The lines have already been blurred for the people that have used this. It's not going to matter. The thing is, what they're selling us is that the simulation is every bit as good. No, better. Right. Because it's controlled. Yeah, there's no And suffering. they're convincing us that that's, I think that's part of what this whole fucking pandemic is about. Now that I'm like uh, kind of letting my mind go and chasing that rabbit is they're convincing us against all fucking reason, against everything that we know that they represent safety. Yeah. Isn't that what this uh, fucking vaccine is about? Like, forget about Wuhan. Forget about all the evidence about, forget about Fauci and the fucking beagle puppies getting their faces eaten off of the flies that he was involved in. Forget about all that and just go against every bit of your reason and do what we tell you. Even though we're literally going to tell you it's an experimental new thing that fucks with your DNA that we're going to, like, inject into you to prevent you, you're still going to be contagious. And you still could get sick. You don't even know why you're taking the goddamn thing. But 
it's the safe thing to do to take this experimental stuff, even though it doesn't protect you. And, you know, to, to, to just lead us through our fear of something that still has not proven itself to be much more deadly than uh, a flu, to, to lead us to trusting them. You know, to me, that's kind of what's happening with the metaverse, because for you to buy the simulation, to completely buy the simulation, you've got to trust the people that are in charge of it. Yeah. You've got to feel like they're actually safer than this world because, shit, you go out there, you better not be black. Do you know that you could get choked to death by a fucking cop just because you're walking while black? Mm. You better not go to a concert because people will fucking smother you and stomp you. You better not go basically outside because there's this fucking virus. Don't you know it's killing people? And even if it doesn't kill you, you selfish bastard, it might mutate in you and kill my fucking grandma. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, 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 the psychosis in our society right now has like... I was going to say driven me up the wall, but luckily I don't surround myself with walls. So it keeps driving me deeper into the fucking woods, which is where I wanted to go anyway. So (laughs) ha ha, you fucking assholes. Um, But yeah, this metaverse, man, to be in a place like imagine that you break a law. You might get away with it. Even in this era of surveillance, maybe nobody saw you. Um, you've got a chance to make your own decisions, even especially when the laws are like not representing ethics. Good. (laughs) What about the metaverse? There's no place to hide in virtual reality. It is on your record forever. It's their universe. There's nothing that's not recorded, nothing that's not seen. You can't break a rule because they set the perimeters. And that's where, I mean, why would you be anywhere else? You're going to put this thing on. It's going to be like, wow. And like you're saying, Teresa, like um, the simulation, people like walking in the woods and reality is not going to be good enough anymore. You already see that. You yeah. already see kids that can't see nature anymore. They go in the woods and like it just it doesn't it's not fast paced. It doesn't move. It's not a video game. They yeah. want a video game. They're wired for that. They're like they're junkies for it. So you're hanging out. You go to work and like your virtual reality work. Maybe you look out a window and there's like three rainbows and the planet Saturn there. And like, <laughs> you know, I mean, amazing stuff. Graphics, but it's fake. It's a fucking it's it's computer graphics. It's simulation. But it looks real. It sounds real. How long before it feels real and smells real? I don't think that's going to be far away. Hmm. And then you get out. What the hell's a walk in the woods going to be like to you? It's going to be like a black and white movie with no sound. Oh my it's going to be so dead to you. Not that there's yeah. the magic's still going to be there. Right. But your perception of it has already been fucked up. And after this thing, man, you just threw it into a blender. Their blender. Yeah. And what's going to come out of that blender? All the things they want you to be. You're going to be addicted. You're going to want more. Whatever they say to keep you in that universe, you bet your ass you're going to do it. This thing is dangerous. Man, I am so, like, I'm not scared because I'm not going to do the damn thing, but I am uh, put off, put off by the metaverse or something. This thing is dangerous. Well, speaking of future generations, um, something else that we've been doing, I think we you started teaching this group of kids before our break, um, but yeah, yeah there's... There's this group of kids that uh, Gumby's been teaching, and I just kind of show up and, like, do whatever project I was supposed to be doing all week. Yeah, Teresa asked how she could help me with this, and uh, 
you know, because we live in a van, so she's going to be there anyway. So I was like, yeah, I mean, it'd probably be more fun for you to, like, hang out with us. And uh, what I asked her is just work on anything. Pick any skill you want <laughs> and work on that, because I think that creates kind of a better atmosphere for the kids. Because if I'm teaching something that's kind of hard for them, they get, like, where they need a break from it, they can hang out with Teresa. And it's not just, like, she's draining my class because she's just hanging out there. She's working on another skill. So they're still learning in a real casual, tribal kind of way. Yeah. So, you know, that's been pretty cool. Teresa's over there, like, cracking acorns or working on her mortar, coal burning that. And I love that the kids can, like, take a little break from pounding on the nails and shit and, like, hang out there and just talk about whatever. That That's, yeah, that's good learning. And, uh, yeah, when we first met this group of kids, like, they were so, um, I, I don't know how to describe it. it. It was, like, the bright spot in my entire week. Like, I... I completely changed my perspective. I was like, wow, this is, this is so refreshing to see these kids like really respond to all these different skills that they're learning and being exposed to. And, um, man, now that I, sorry, like I'm dropping it, but that metaverse thing, man, I'm scared for them. I'm really scared. It is such an unreasonable thing to ask of our kids. What kid wouldn't put the thing on and what kid wouldn't want to go back as much as they can? And what, the adults are going to be responsible and set perimeters? My fucking ass, the adults are going to be the worst ones. They may try to set perimeters. I've seen adults do this before. Oh, you don't do this, but they will not be role models. How (laughs) quick before the adults are working in the metaverse, getting off of work, and then playing in the metaverse? Yeah. You want to have sex, the metaverse is going to have, like, the most realistic simulation of porn that you've ever seen. The next best thing to actually be in there. And, like I said, how long before it is, if you don't mind simulation, if you really don't believe there's any difference between reality and simulation, for all practical purposes and intents, it might be better. And think of all the problems this solves with gender identity. Yeah, and what the fuck does it do to our minds? Like, what do you think porn's going to be? It's going to be... Let's say me, I'm a heterosexual guy. I'd probably pick a woman, you know, well, I wouldn't probably, I would definitely pick (laughs) a woman in my porno and I can completely can control her. She has no say. I rule this world. Whoever's controlling the metaverse are the gods, but I get to play God in my little, like, you know, whatever thing I'm doing, porn in this case. What does that do to the way when I have to interact in the real world? Think of the negative feedback of that. I get off and get out in the real world. Now I suck at interacting with Teresa. She disagrees with me about something. It just makes me twitch. I don't know how to handle it. God damn it. I don't have to put up with this shit in the metaverse. Go back in the metaverse. In the metaverse, my date wears whatever I want. She, she does exactly what I want. She doesn't do anything that stresses me out. I'm going to get worse and worse at interacting with a real human being where you have to learn how to deal with that. And that's going to be a negative feedback because am I going to want to interact with the human being that makes me feel like that? No, I'm going to prefer the metaverse. And what the fuck do they care if I get more and more antisocial? It only benefits the powers that shouldn't be. Doesn't benefit me, but so what? You think they care? Here's something that's tied into technology that... Are you going to bring up the stars? This Yes. I was just about to bring that up. <laughs> so this happened to us last Saturday. Is that right? Last Saturday night. And 
Gumby and I, as usual, we're Ooh, out can there. I tell the beginning because I saw it first. Okay. We're sitting around the fire. <laughs> what we try to do now that it gets dark at like like five o'clock is we sit around the fire until at least seven, you know, because then we can go in the van and we watch like we've been binge watching alone. Well, binge watching. We've only got so much battery power. So at the most two hours of alone. But anyway, <laughs> we're getting ready to go in the van for the night around seven o'clock. And I look up and I see this twinkling line in the sky. It looks like a laser pointer on clouds, but it's a clear night and it's in the distance. And I'm like, what the hell is that? And we watch it get closer and closer and it gets bigger and bigger. And we're just like stunned silent. Like it's a, <laughs> as it's passing over us, it's giant. It's a line of round lights that are like in a weird, uh, pattern like maybe three lights two lights one light whatever but all in a line yeah all in a straight line silently passing overhead i've never seen anything like it like we don't know if we just saw alien life i mean we don't know what to think we didn't know how to classify this it looked like nothing i'd ever seen before i think you were losing your shit a little bit because like i wasn't losing my shit but i was just recognizing (laughs) I mean, think about this, and I still say this. You may, you like, well, you thought I was losing my shit, but think about this, Teresa. Before you found out what that was, yeah. you at 40 years old, 40 years in this world, had never seen anything. Saw something that you couldn't even classify what it was. Yeah, you're right. You weren't sure if it was some weird natural phenomenon, some technology. If it was technology, what the hell? Was it a satellite? A plane or what the fuck was that and in this day and age there aren't that many people that are just outside yeah it's pretty rare i see something completely that i've never seen before sometimes i'll see like a type of thing in a way i've never seen it before yeah so i was suitably amazed yeah and i mean i i guess what i was saying was uh you couldn't rely on neighbors as far away as they are from us out here in the country. But if it was some sort of like alien spacecraft that they were, you know, reporting about on the local news, um, go back to sleep. It's okay. Uh, you know, you'd expect maybe people to like, I don't know, be outside. There might be commotion. People are like, you know, speeding away in their cars to get to safety or something. I don't know. But nobody's outside anymore. So me and Gumby are like possibly the only two people that have seen this thing in at least a 20-something mile radius. And then it slowly moves off to the north and disappears. Right. And so I'm using deduction. I'm thinking like we didn't hear anything. Not and not a wing of a bird. Nothing. Not the motor of a plane. Nothing. So I'm telling Teresa, whatever that was... It was really fucking big for us to see it because I think the only way it could move like that was if it wasn't in the Earth's atmosphere. And it turns out we found out what this thing was, and I was right about that. It wasn't in the Earth's atmosphere. It was the SpaceX Starlink satellite, and it's like a web of satellites. That's why it looked like all those different lights in the sky in a line because I guess it somehow... I don't know if it was being launched like that or if it travels like that all the time. It's supposed to be something that brings broadband to rural areas for a lower price. But um, that seems like, from my research, a bunch of bullshit. Um, So the Federal Communication Commission 
has approved, in April of 2019, they approved 12,000 satellites to be launched into uh, anywhere from 210 miles above the Earth's surface to 710 miles above the Earth's surface. 12,000 satellites. Is this to support rural broadband customers through the company's Starlink satellite internet network? That was according to the Wikipedia article on this shit. Or does it have something more to do with the U.S. Air Force issuing a $28 million contract for specific test services on the Starlink satellites? Me don't know. Gumby? Yeah, this whole thing about what... I mean, it changed the night sky. At first, I'm amazed because I've never seen anything like it before. Find out what it is, sit with it a while, and think about it. <laughs> and now I'm really pissed off because I'm like... From now on, you might just be sitting there and this fucking line of lights comes over you. It's like a it's like being under a laser printer or something. <laughs> they like It's very disturbing. It was like it, the night sky belongs to all of us and none of us. One yeah. thing it doesn't belong to is a few of us. I don't care how fucking mm. much money you've got. I'm so sick of seeing things get sent across that night sky. So many satellites. You look up there now, it's just so busy. Yeah. So busy with junk. And now this. So I was really ticked off that uh, somebody just felt like they had the right to make something that like flies over and like looks that like that, that invasive. Um, and it doesn't make sense. When Teresa told me what it was for, <laughs> if there's some hill, if it's to get Internet to hillbillies, if there's any hillbillies out there that aren't on the Internet by 2021, I think they're doing pretty damn well. They've learned how to do without it, and God bless them. They probably don't want to be on it. Um, man, if there's people that haven't been sucked into the Internet, Jesus Christ, let them go. Don't get them on it. I wish I hadn't got on it. Um, but then the timing of it. Oh, right. we're releasing the metaverse, and now there's this big new thing in the sky that just like this line of lights that floats over, but... Don't worry. Go back to sleep. We're going to send you a simulation specially tailored to make you feel better about all this. Yeah, it turns out also that that rural broadband thing is is not necessarily true. Um, SpaceX was given nearly 900 million U.S. dollars worth of federal subsidies. Um, but when people have examined the coverage that they're that the SpaceX company is going to focus on it's often at places that are like empty plots of land parking lots roads that are adjacent to blocks that they have service that's just fine and a lot of them also the areas that they're supposed to cover are also corresponding to airports and universities that generally have their own internet what's going on here is this just to give Elon Musk a whole bunch more money and why are we letting this happen? Yeah, I don't even think this is really about money anymore. <laughs> I think those were the good old days. Maybe. That's something you could wrap your mind around. Some old bastard trying to get rich. Hell, you want to be richer, don't you? You'd like to find a way to make some money, wouldn't you? But no, I think there's something darker going on now. I think this is about a vision of the future that we did not consent to. This is about them taking us to a place that they're really excited about, that they've convinced themselves would be the best thing for all of us, but <laughs> they don't feel confident enough in us agreeing with them to let us in on it. Um, yeah, I think this is about control. 
They're leading us somewhere, not telling us where we're going because they're afraid we won't want to go. And indeed, I think a lot of people, if they saw where they were going, if they really could wrap their minds, anybody can see it. But if the people that are trying so hard not to see it had to see it, I think quite a few more people would turn away from this thing. Because the few of us that uh, are looking at it, we don't want to go anywhere near the goddamn thing. I don't think that's just because we're crazy. Being crazy doesn't hurt. But I think it's because we're paying attention. A lot of things um, are cropping up in my life that are, for some reason, they're they're kind of like associated with the concept of prison. <laughs> and I'll explain. Um, so I had a friend that uh, he did something that was, I, I really honestly don't know how bad it was, but he ended up going to prison. So I'm going to assume it was illegal. Um, and I've been writing to him occasionally just to, you know, be a good friend and, and just share what we're doing in our life and ask what he's doing in there. Um, another type of prison is, uh, our, our Lord of the manor, um, that owns the land next to where we stay at. He recently got a puppy from a shelter. Gumby has a funny story. Um, and this poor puppy is just kind of left to his own devices. And for that reason is very neurotic. So he's, he's generally left outside in this fenced area. And it's so sad to, to see a puppy that wants to run and wants to like burn off that puppy energy so he can be a good boy for his, for his owners. But he ends up just kind of staring out the fence and being neurotic. And then there's also a feeling of prison when it comes to this culture. And I've fallen into this lately, just feeling like I'm up against this fence and I'm looking through the fence or I have a a window with bars on it and I'm looking through the window going, woe is me, I'm stuck in this prison. But that's the only part around me that has bars on it. Like if I looked to the left or to the right or behind me, there, there are no walls. So hopefully this feeling is going to inspire me more to work on my skills so that I can be free when all this comes crashing down like it is. Well, Teresa and I actually fight quite a bit about this because I'm on fire with survival skills lately. And Teresa's like chipping away at him. But as she says, she's like kind of stalling out a lot more than me. And uh, like, well, uh, how am I trying to word this? Teresa's been unmotivated. Like I had to take over doing the shots. Um, you know, just like the a shots, lot of, the episodes in the between shots, seasons. The episodes in between. There's a lot of things that we were doing together that are kind of stalling out, like the YouTube channel and everything. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's a trap. I'm gonna call you out on this, Teresa, on the podcast. That's all right. Cause you said something just now about you're hoping that's the trap. Don't yeah. hope you're either. It's like Yoda said, do or do not. There is no try. You're either doing it or you're not. If you're hoping you're stalling. Yeah. You know, that's one of the things like, I mean, I see this shit coming down and Teresa's like, you know, like I real, I'm not just talking because I'm like worked up or whatever. Like we are at that pivotal point. Yeah. All of us. We're at that pivotal point. You're either getting off this thing or you're going along with it. And if you go along with it much further, you are in, you are in. So 
if you're not getting off right now, you better have a fucking plan. So, of course, I'm living with Teresa. I'm more concerned about, like, what's happening to us next. And I'm, I'm just like, man, we got to have a plan here. We got to, like, be pushing these skills like our life depends on it. Because I'm telling you, tomorrow, either your life's going to depend on these skills or you're in. And don't just go in because you were clumsy and just like, oh, I'm hope, I hope. Oh, I hope something works out. Hope I hope it gets better. It ain't. You're you're choosing it. And uh yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm just like um <sighs> Yeah, there's just so much going on now, you know. I'm like following the Kyle Rittenhouse case and I'm like seeing like, you know, this is old news by now, but man, I c- I couldn't believe how brainwashed people are. Like some people were still calling this racism a white man killed white men i mean jesus christ i would tell people like he you know all the the parts of this case and people just decided this is what it's about and no new information it's like that russian study that if you like repeat something to somebody a certain amount of times and then introduce new information they can't accept it Things have gotten really crazy. The whole transgender thing. I mean, men getting put in women's prisons and sexually assaulting women. And it's still happening. Um, a man who just says he's a woman still has a fucking package. Just won the weightlifting championship for New Zealand. I mean, stuff that if you would have told me 10 years ago, I'd have laughed. I'd have said, man, that's like a that's not even a well-written dystopian novel. It's not believable. <laughs> We're here, you know, it's gotten serious. Like you got to decide where you're at. And if you're, you're getting off this thing, you better think about what's involved in that, man. Because like, whew, um, yeah. I don't know why I brought up the YouTube channel or anything. I guess just well, because I, I tied that in because I think maybe you're dealing with like this stuff a little bit differently than me. And it's maybe stalling you out more. Um, I'm having to take over more and more stuff. Like you, you should write Teresa and tell her to, uh, like that you need her to do YouTube videos and stuff. Otherwise this whole thing (laughs) is going to become the Gumby show or it's going to (laughs) stop. So that is a threat. That is an observ. That is a fact, not a simulation. And there is a goddamn (laughs) difference. Yeah. Well, I've, I mean, uh, I will say this and then we can move on from that so we don't take up the podcast. But I've fallen, (laughs) I know I have fallen into the trap that my mom fell into. And that is, I'm finding myself spending the majority of the day doing housework and I don't even own a house. So I'm prepping for our brunch or for our like dinner slash late lunch or whatever you want to call it. I'm washing the dishes. I'm like trying to organize things so that food is moving. So it's not going bad. And I'm like making all these different meals up and stuff that is taking up way too much time in my day. So I think if we just eat like soup (laughs) from a can or box or something, not made homemade, I think that's going to free up a lot of my time. Yeah, that's what I always tell Teresa. I'm like, Teresa, you realize that like when you're you have to be gone for a couple months, I live. <laughs> like we can like I I just like you got to eat like oatmeal in the morning, you know, stuff like that. So this is like our daily fight. This kind of stuff right here. 
But uh, yeah, I mean, you got to prioritize. Like when I have to do it on my own, my priority is not big elaborate meals. So I eat more simply because my priority is working on the stuff I want to work on. And the takeaway Um, message here is, listeners, that if you happen to be one of those listeners that, like me, is putting off learning skills that you're interested in to make a meal, put off the meal for a couple times. You're not going to starve yet. Do the skills now so that you don't starve later. Get what I mean? And I got to take my own advice. And the other takeaway message of that is if you live with somebody in a van for going on three years, man, you better get some fucking mental health going. <laughs> You're going to need every benefit. <laughs> you better do some deep breathing and meditating. And uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, also, this was just a little thing that happened. But over our break, um, we were walking to this local park and it's like one and a half miles away each way. And we were like Jack and Jill going up the hill to fetch some pails of water, right? And this was working because uh, it wasn't raining and we wanted to get some extra water. We could make it a nice day hike and look through some abandoned houses along the way, some old like cabins and tobacco barns and stuff, and just make a nice day of it. And then the city shut the water off at the parks because it's late in the season. They don't want the pipes to freeze, etc. But while we were at the park, one of the last times that we were filling up water bottles, Gumby found a cigarette on the ground. And this is all to say that Teresa has now smoked one puff of a cigarette. I'm no longer a cigarette virgin. But she hit it like a boss. Oh, man. I fell on the ground like I fell down on my stomach and my lungs just crunched up inside of me. It did not feel good, but it tasted good, but it did not feel good. Yeah. I told you like, don't hit it like a joint. (laughs) That's the only thing. Teresa has never smoked anything before she met me. So all she knows how to do is smoke weed. And I'm like, this is different. Don't hit that thing like it's weed. I did. So (laughs) what did she do? (laughs) She hits that thing like it's weed and she's on the ground. So, I was thinking about like you mentioned Rufus. Like Teresa's also been trying to train Rufus. Well, did I did I mention that the puppy's name that was living? I think you did, but if not, the puppy that Teresa's been talking about when she was talking about con- being confined and everything, the little pit bull puppy, his name is Rufus. Rufus. And uh, Teresa, like in her attempts to try to train this dog, like sometimes he doesn't listen too good and doesn't come, so she tries to call him in the way that his owner. <laughs> calls him so she she apparently thinks like rufus has only learned how to speak hillbilly and so Teresa, like when she calls him she'll say rufus rufus, rufus get over here rufus get on over here get, rufus. Your, get your ass over get here get your ass over here boy <laughs> i think it works but yeah that's uh that was it keeps me amused if it doesn't do anything for rufus. <laughs> or our audience so yeah um Wow, there's there's a lot, but I've... I know something I want to talk about. Okay. Can I jump in? Yes. Teresa, you remember when we watched that last Dave Chappelle special? Yes. What did you think of that? I mean, it's getting all this like flack about how hateful he was to trans people. And obviously, if you listen to our podcast, Teresa and I have a lot of criticism about the trans movement. So we weren't expected... We were going in not expecting to be offended. But I was kind of surprised when I watched it. I didn't feel like I saw what I expected to see. So what what, what were your observations to that, Dave Chappelle? What was it called? 
The closer. The closer. Uh, yeah, I guess I'll say I have two thoughts at the moment. We'll see if I can remember both, okay? So the first thing is, I think a lot of the criticisms of Dave Chappelle's The Closer special are from people that haven't watched it. Um, and the reason I say that is because he talked, he spoke many times highly of people in the transgender community that he personally knew and was personally involved with in comedy. And he even kept saying over and over again, although I don't think he understood what he was saying, that gender is real. Gender is real. Gender is real. I think he meant sex, but I I just don't understand what people had to, they, they were so up in arms about. The whole special to me seemed like he was pretty soft and he was making fun of everybody. Yeah, I got corrected on the gender thing by the left, you know, like a bunch of the left. Sounds like you know, one little club, but a bunch of people that were like uber liberals, because I got confused and they said, gender is a social construct. Sex is a biological reality. And no sooner did they teach me that, than they started using the two words opposite, like right. gender for sex. So like that was very confusing. But yeah, one of the things Dave Chappelle said was, I don't have anything against trans people. I got something against white people. <laughs> now, when he said that at first, I didn't like that because another criticism I have is all this racial division, this Black Lives Matter, this white privilege shit, you know, all this stuff that just paints us into a little box like, oh, there's your skin color. Here's where you go. You go in this box. I haven't fucking had a whole lot in common with most of the white people that have been around me my whole life. Our desires, what we want, how we act, how we think. So sticking me in that box, fuck you. I don't go in that box. Um, so I didn't like that. But then when he elaborated on that, I, I saw his point. Yeah. I saw what he was saying because what he's saying is like, as a black man, there's been a lot of struggle to get where we're at today. It took time. It took sacrifice. Like, you know, I mean, it was a long and arduous path for black people to get where they are today. So no sooner does that happen than white people co-opt the role of, uh, what, victim? Uh, well, the oppressed? Right. Where white men can now yeah, be Yeah, now women. white men, now they're the oppressed people. So now they can go to a black man and treat him like the oppressor because now, oh, well, I, th I say I'm a woman, so I'm actually more oppressed than you. I win again. Yeah. Sucker. You know, <laughs> it's just like, yeah, I could see where he's coming from. And uh, that story, you well, you said, um, he said, like, positive things about a lot of trans people. I think about that one story that he made friends with this comic, this stand-up comic, and this person was trans, and, like, he joked with him. They talked a lot, a little bit of shit, but, like, Dave Chappelle was giving him opportunities to do stand-up um, in his venues. He was trying to give the guy an opportunity. He liked the guy. He saw that the guy had talent. I say the guy. Um, I believe this was a natal man yeah. calling himself a woman. Mm -hmm. I'm going to call him a guy. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, so Dave didn't have any problem with that. It was such a poignant story because the way it ended was uh, that the guy ended up, I think, sticking up for Dave Chappelle online or something like that. Yeah. And then the fucking like trans people 
clobbered him, like fucking did their thing, you know, cancel culture. Like, you're not one of us. We are going to, you should be dead. And the guy ended up killing himself. Yep. And damn, I wish I could remember what Dave said. Like he, he brought it back. Like it was masterful storytelling. I mean, some of his uh, routines, there's a lot of overlap between stand-up comedy and good storytelling. And sometimes I feel like Dave kind of goes further into the storytelling camp. Like, holy shit, that was fucking yeah. poignant. Yeah. But that story was masterful because, uh, oh, God damn it. It was like, oh, he was talking about how he got accused of punching down. Right. Yeah. And he was saying, I'm a black man and I'm getting white people telling me I'm punching down. They're the more oppressed group now. Mm -hmm. So he told that story and he's like, I'm not going to make any more jokes about trans people until we're all laughing. Yeah. But until then, don't fucking punch down. Right. Because Because it it causes it evidently, you know, this causes a reaction in a group of people to gang up and cause, I don't want to say cause, but create an environment in which someone feels so uh, off kilter, so out of control that they kill themselves. And, you know, even people that are not trans, like, let's say Dave Chappelle gets canceled. Rightfully so. He should be dead. So you're advocating for He's hurt someone, so many people. Yeah. You're advocating for someone to kill themselves? That just doesn't sit right with me. I remembered the second thing I was going to say, though, when you asked me that. And that is the whole... And you you brought it up. That's the whole thing about division. You know, we're so worried about black and white, male, female, gender this, gender that. And it's splitting us. And we're just going to... We, some bunch of people are going to step right into that metaverse and be so relieved that this is all over. Finally, it's all taken care of. Yeah, I don't think that this level of stress, I mean, you can probably hear it in my voice. I feel like I'm kind of going off on more, maybe more than the usual amount of rants. I feel like there's a lot of stress in the air right now. And I think most of us are feeling it. We're interpreting it, interpreting it in our own ways. But yeah, I don't think that's by accident for the reason you just said. Yeah. Because by the time they offer us something else, we are going to cling to it like drowning people clinging to driftwood. We're going to be so stressed out and anxious in this world. I mean, they've made us scared of the air. I see people alone in their cars with masks. It's not a rare thing. What does that tell you? These pe- Who wants to live like that? How disconnected from the world do you have to be to be by yourself and be scared of the air? Once you're scared of the air, the water, the sun, other people, what the fuck would you want to be in this world for? If they offer you something else, why wouldn't you? Yeah. I just, I also have to bring this up because it just happened today. I went to the store because we're still not, uh, you know, self-sufficient here and At first, I wasn't even hearing this conversation that was happening a few feet away from me, but the younger of the two in the group said, ain't that right? Looking at me. And I was like, I don't know what you said. And he repeated it. And this is what he said. We have to follow the rules or else we'll end up back at square one. And there's going to be a food shortage. Now, these are people that are working in a grocery store, so they're having a firsthand account 
of things not being able to be replenished like they used to be. I kind of have to take that with a grain of salt because I know how much food ends up in the dumpster all the time. So I'm not quite sure like having a, a food shortage because of a supply chain thing. I mean, there's food that's being thrown out because there's so much extra food. Yeah, I could, in theory, understand the chain of thoughts to link an unvaccinated person to your dead grandma, even though I don't think that's happening. But I could understand the thought process of someone who did believe that. Somebody's going to have to explain to me how unvaccinated people leads to food shortages because I'm not following that chain. I don't understand the links in that chain. Yeah. And after I asked this person and the older person in the uh, the duo there, because I said, I, I'm sorry, I'm trying to understand what you're saying, but I'm still not making the connection. Are you trying to say that people that are unvaccinated are holding up the process for shipment of food and the guy said even the packaging of food even making the package the plastic package for the food we all have to follow the rules or else we're going to end up back at square one I don't know what that means but generally when I hear these things that kind of don't really make much sense I find out later from my mom that it's being repeated on the news and the reason I find out from my mom is because she watches the news and she repeats it and then I go oh I think I know what square one means. If you get people to define that, like you really get them in a corner and like, no, no, I really need you to describe square one. If they start describing it, I'm like, yes, that's where I was going anyway. That's awesome. <laughs> Man, square one. Yes. Where, where we forage our own food. And... Yeah, like where we don't have electricity and like we got to go find our own food and everything. I'm like, yes. <laughs> like uh... Carrie Smith on Unsafe Space. Yes. 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 Oh, and uh, just so we're clear here about different podcasts that we listen to, fuck all of you. I just am so sick of these sellout podcasters that we listen to, and it seems like, I don't know. I don't know who gets to them. I don't know if they're offered money or if they were in the first place, uh, like, being paid to, to play a certain bit. But I don't know. I, I just I it's funny because we just got a message today that I think was a scam, but it was saying our Facebook page was being canceled because we were inauthentic. I'm like, we're inauthentic. <laughs> One thing we ain't is inauthentic. I have talked so much about myself on this podcast throughout the seasons. I, I don't know what else you would want to know about me. Yeah, the thing that set me off last night is we were listening to the propaganda report and it was uh, Monica Perez was interviewing this guy. Um, Peter Quinones, yeah, whoever he is, but, um, she has mentioned Ted Kaczynski several times in the past in positive terms. She liked his book. She thought she had really important stuff to say. And then, you know, she's this New York girl living in LA right now. And, you know, she's always talking about, oh, I'm going to go off in the woods and grow chickens. And, you know, she just says that because she thinks it's something funny and cute for her to say. She's not going to go off in the woods and raise chickens. (laughs) Um, but she's always talked positively about uncle Ted. And this guy, like, that she's interviewing says something about, like, uh, Kaczynski, oh, he wants us to go back to the Bronze Age, which in itself is not true. Uh, Kaczynski is trying to take us um, Mm pre-industrial. That's where he thinks the big wrong turn went. Not that that's the only wrong turn, but if we could get pre-industrial, we're coming from a much better place than Kaczynski's approach, Mm -hmm. not the Bronze Age, you know, so there's one fallacy that Monica 
knew was a fallacy. She's read his book. She's smart. She knows that that guy just said something that wasn't true. To me, there's two ways to go with that. Ignore it. Don't choose that battle. All right. Or correct him. Like debate him, challenge him on it. Push back, as they say now. Yeah. You know what this Weasley little bitch did? <laughs> she fucking threw Ted under the bus. She said, "Oh, Ted, uh, Ted Kaczynski. He does. I don't. Th- I don't think he even wants us to use fire. I don't mm. even know if he he wants us using fire. That guy. That's a blatant fucking lie, and she knows it. So it's just like at the. I, I just it just turned me off so much. This bitch just threw Ted right under the bus for. I mean, it's not like she had a bad conversation with him. He's in prison. It's not <laughs> like he did something to suddenly piss her off, and she's she's suddenly on bad terms with the guy. Yeah. And. Oh, man. <laughs> I think I'm tweaked out. I'm just tweaked out about everything. But another uh, podcaster and author, Derek Jensen. Mm. He's been posting a whole bunch of shit about electricity. It's talking about, like, for instance, how bad green energy is. Okay. Green energy's bad. I'm not debating you on it. Green energy is bad. It's not good. It's bad. Oil, uh, the, the electricity that we're already using, that's bad too, right? We don't need to debate. All right, let's move on. It's all bad. There's no way to produce electricity that we are receiving that doesn't come about unless you're destroying the earth. It's bad. Now, can we move the fuck on, Jensen? (laughs) If it's all bad, doesn't it lead to two other questions? For one, how are you getting your electricity? We just established it's all bad, so probably in some way that's bad for the earth. And then the second question, and this is a really important one. <laughs> Do you need electricity? Look me in the eye and fucking tell me if you need electricity. If the answer is no, well, we need to kind of recap, don't we? You're doing something that your life does not depend on, that is not necessary, that you have acknowledged is bad for the earth. And if you're still doing it, what the fuck is the point of pointing fingers? Oh, are you? is your argument something to the effect of like, well, I just don't see the point in me not using electricity if, any, if nobody else, you know, if we're not all going to do it. It's not going to make any difference. Don't you think the corporations can make the same fucking argument? <laughs> don't you think Duke Electric, for instance, might say, well, all right, we could all go bankrupt and uh, give up our business. But do you really think that's going to change things? For one thing, there's a whole lot of other corporations out there. Yeah. And for another thing... There's going to be a corporation to almost immediately take our place. So (laughs) it's just so much bullshit. So much bullshit. Every road that I explore, and I tell this to Teresa all the time, I'm like, have you noticed every line of thinking that we explore? It always takes you back to the same place. Work on yourself. Work on your skills. Yeah. Work on your skills. Work on your independence because it's the only thing we have power over. It's the only chance we've got. If I'm wrong, correct me. But nobody has been able to correct me. I've had people argue with me. I've had people try to bury me with lots and lots of words. But there's never a better solution. Yeah. It's all reliant on the same old shit. You're either getting free or you're not. And these these tools, these ancient heritage skills have been tried and tested millennia. I mean, like... Uh, I don't know the scales and everything, but industrial society is such a small slice. All these skills, they worked. They kept us alive. They brought us here. They they allowed us to thrive. I understand the earth is not the same place as it was then, but to say it's totally a lost cause, that there aren't things to hunt and fish and ways to survive out there, bullshit. 
There's so many examples that, that contradict that. I'm not sure when you were wanting to talk about that book that you just started reading. We can talk about it now. Okay, because I feel like a lot of... Well, and watching that Alone show... Um, well, that's another thing I wanted to talk about. Yeah, well, take it, take it in whatever direction you want, Gumby. I was just going to set it up and say that um, if you haven't watched this like survival show alone, like everything, you can watch it and get a certain message out of it. Like, boy, it seems like uh, this really isn't a sustainable way to live anymore. Like, what could we possibly, what are we fighting to get out of society if these people can't do it? On the other hand, they're doing it alone. And they're doing it in kind of a really impractical way, um, being dropped off right before the winter season. So they don't have time to prepare anything. Like, why would you even be there during the winter season? Wouldn't you be more nomadic and like take what you can where you can and then move on to a better location? But um, yeah, I guess that alone show has also been um, exciting to me as well. Like I can take out of it what inspires me and kind of see through the the propaganda. Yeah, I'm I'm loving watching alone. <laughs> and uh you know, uh, there there is the propagandist element of kind of making it seem just really miserable to live in the woods in one way, even though some of the people are uh, really having spiritual experiences out there. Um but for one thing they they put them out there with a little red button. I mean, think of the psychology of that. Oh, you got yeah. a button. You get hungry. You get whatever. You know, you got a button just like calling your name um, to go back to all the things that you've always loved since you were born and are addicted to. Um, so to that's tap a big, out. Yeah, just tap out. They come get you. So that psychologically is a real game changer. Another thing is they always drop them off in a really rugged place like the far north right towards the end of autumn when it's turning real bitter cold. I mean, it's meant to be challenging. You know, it's not, they're not showing us like ideal places where people would really thrive and just, you know, it'd be super easy because it's not what the show's about. But uh, if you're not careful, if you're not conscious while you're watching it, it can kind of get in, like start brainwashing you like, oh, this looks hard. This looks miserable. Oh my God, that's what it's like. You know, keep in mind, these aren't ideal conditions. That's what the show's about. But uh Within that, man, watching what people struggle with, I mean, knowing it's edited, you know, we're not seeing the whole picture, but even what we get to see is really informative. Um, Like, God, what was I? I lost my train of thought. Well, we've watched seasons one and season seven. We started off with season seven and... Season seven was good. It was inspiring. I actually contacted Callie, uh, I think her last name is Russell, from season seven of Alone. And I was like wanting to find out if she was teaching any skills, uh, classes or workshops. And then we watched season one. And this is a whole different set, like a whole different type of people. I know I was going to say, I just got it back. Okay. One of the things I've noticed is when people tap out, a lot of them, um, they're not quite Done. I've heard a few times people say, I wanted to get out of there while there's still something left of me. They mm. were afraid they were about to break, whatever yeah. that means. And I was thinking, man, I bet if that was a real survival situation and they didn't have that button there, what was about to happen is the part of them that couldn't make it out there was about to die. Yeah, yeah. But it wasn't their whole life. I think they were at that critical point, like... There's a part of all of us that is going to have to die if we go full-on feral, wild. 
I am sure of that. Yeah. There's a domesticated part of us. I think that's the door they were at, and it scared them. It's, it is scary. I think it would scare anybody. And But if you didn't have the button there, you might not come—I mean, you might come out the other side reborn. Yeah. And I see a lot of people leave, and I'm like, man, that's what it looks like to me. Like something— it looks like something spiritual was about to happen. Yeah. And then, of course, you're, they're having a like videotape it. They have to be their own camera people. So I would imagine that kind of fucks with it a little bit, you know, makes it seem a little removed sometimes, <laughs> even though the hunger and everything brings you back in. But, yeah, that was something that stood out to me. And uh, I really love the season one, the winner, Alan. He had a lot of, like, just great poetic <laughs> reflections about technology and you know, I loved when Callie left. It was how many days was she in? Like 80 something? Yeah, like 87 days out of a 100 day challenge or something yeah, like that. Yeah, 87 days. She was the runner up. She didn't win, but she was the person out there next. And she was just like kind of a slim blonde, you know, not like a big burly mountain man or anything. And she just <laughs> fucking like owned that shit. And her attitude was so good. And even when she left, they had to drag her out. She didn't push the button because she was starting to get frostbite on her toes. And they're like, well, we got to pull you. But when she was leaving, she was like, man, I could feel it in my DNA. This felt right. You know, the way this kind of life, it felt right. It's like something in me remembers it. So even after 87 days struggling in the Arctic wilderness, being cold enough, she's getting frostbite on her toes. She's like, man, it's still, it was clicking. Yeah. Like I didn't want to leave. Yeah. And uh, it's that several other people said, man, it's the alone thing that fucks with me. If I had my family out here, I wouldn't want to leave. Yeah. And it, it ties into that book that you're reading because <laughs> Gumby has this um, on the iPad that we're recording this on. He has this screen when you open it up and it's it now says, what if you're what wrong? if you're wrong? In what big if red you're letters. Wrong. And uh, he got this book called Against the Grain by James Scott, I think it's called. And uh, the whole book to me is like the message, what if you're wrong? And it talks about how we really don't know like what happened long, long ago. We just make the assumption that like the agricultural revolution happened and it was a good thing. It was a real fine thing. (laughs) And, you know, and now we're all happy and we're fat and happy and that's, that's how it happened. But that's, Actually, the book's like, what if you're wrong? Yeah. One of the things, like, he said a few things that kind of, like, really stood out to me. And one of the things he brought up was how um, we have evolved with fire. And I've never thought of it as, like, ever since fire, we started using fire, it was like an external part of our digestion. So it changed our relationship with food. And we have co-evolved with fire that we have become dependent on fire. Um, to go back into the woods and just not use fire wouldn't be so easy for us. We've become creatures that rely on fire. And that got me thinking about evolution. Like, how far have we evolved? How far have we domesticated ourselves? I mean, like, there are plants and animals that we have domesticated to the point that they need us now. If we stop taking care of them, they die. There's no going back. There's no going back to feral. They have physically changed. They die without us. We've been domesticating ourselves longer than any other creature. That, to me, scares me. That's a scary thought. How far have we changed ourselves? One of the scariest things I can think of is, oh, my God, what if we have become creatures that can't 
survive without civilization. When I ask people, do you need electricity? I'm assuming the answer is no. But what if it isn't? <laughs> yeah. What if we've become creatures that actually die? I, I don't believe this, by the way. I can, I can make too good of an argument against it. I mean, there's so many examples that this is not the case. But how long will it not be the case? With things like Metaverse, for instance, you think that's not going to change you? That, I mean, the technology now is happening so fast and it's changing us so fast. How much longer before there's no more discussions about going back in the woods? It's not a possibility. You might as well just blow your brains out if you're going to go back in the woods because you aren't, you aren't designed to be out there anymore. It could happen. We see it. I mean, it's scientifically proven. You domesticate things. Some things get domesticated to the point where they can't live without the care of the domesticating influence. It could happen to a human being. And my God. If we get into that kind of slavery, there is no alternative. There is only slavery. It's what we are. We're not enslaved people. We are slaves. Homo slavus. <laughs> but that's not how our ancestors were. Because you were reading to me um, passages from that Against the Grain book about how people fought against being in the agricultural uh, society. They wanted to stay nomadic and tribal. Yeah, he calls them in this book uh, barbarians, and he's exploring the kind of the premise of why civilization or the state, as he uh, more commonly uses it in this book, started in the first place. Like the common idea is that it all centered around agriculture. But he's saying a lot of this stuff started before agriculture. Agriculture was just one of the things. Um, I'm almost to the end. I actually have two pages of this book left. Oh. And I feel like kind of how he's wrapping it up, at least it's open to interpretation, but the way I interpret what I walk away from is that the state needed people. It needed manpower. So it wasn't agriculture because of all the things that could have been grown. They picked specific like wheat and barley. Uh, shit. I don't, I don't know what the bigger umbrella term for these things. Grains. Against um, the grain. Yeah, grains. <laughs> Why grains? Because they were because people who grew grains could be controlled. If you grew tubers or roots, you could hide them from the tax collector. Ooh. If if anything started the state, at least as much, if not more, than agriculture, what started the state is the idea of taxation, um, an exploitation of manpower, slavery, and the many forms that has come in over the many peoples over history. Um, and wait, wait, you mean slavery didn't just happen like in the United States or like in 1619? No. And actually slavery <laughs> predates the state, like predates. the tribes. Yeah. Even predates here in North America, there was slavery like government. The predates. Well, if you want to call it government, the state society, civilization mm -hmm. predates all of that. But it got put on steroids. It got kicked up a notch. Society ended up depending on it in a way in that, in that but it's all about control. So it's in, it wasn't just that the state formed because of agriculture. It was almost like agriculture was used because the state knew that this is the way to control people. Yeah, it's like you have to... Uh, okay. Tie them to the land. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Make it's... them grow something that can be taxable, that they can't hide, that can be burned as a punishment. I mean, there's just he he got, went down all this this list of details of like the way grain ties you to the state. Whereas if they grew almost anything else, 
it wouldn't be the same way. It was the one crop that could be the wow. most, that could enable the state to control the people the wow. most. And yeah, it was just a, a really interesting book. And just to make sure I don't forget it, um, there was one other thing that stuck out at me that uh, I thought was interesting. He calls the people that are outside of the state barbarians. And he says he uses the term kind of tongue-in-cheek, but apparently where that name came from was ancient Rome. And um, anybody that did not speak their language, they called barbarians. Even if they were in another, like Persia, another state. Um, but the name, the term came because they would make fun of people who couldn't talk their language, and they said it sounded like bar, 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 bar. <laughs> and apparently barbarians comes from that. Can't you just see some Roman, like, thousand bar, 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 bar. I can't understand you. <laughs> you sound so stupid. Oh, my God. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, that that book, um, while I did not read it myself, it sounded really interesting. So recommend, do you think? I'd recommend it. I mean, if you've read like Ishmael and things along that line, it's not too groundbreaking, but it definitely adds some pieces. Um, yeah, it definitely gave me a greater level of detail on the whole. I'm fascinated with where our society, our, our whole civilization came from, like what started us on this path. So I, I just love that kind of stuff. And um I'm really excited to read the Epic of Gilgamesh. This is uh, the oldest recorded story in our civilization right now. It is over 3,000 years old. And um, just the pieces I've heard authors describe fascinate me. It talks about defeating the forest spirit, cutting down all the trees, building the first city. I mean, just all kinds of stuff that's like, yeah, that's the dawn of civilization. And not just... That book, and not just, as you mentioned, the uh, first recorded story in our civilization, but Gumby and I have had conversations lately about how we only know history by the um, the things that were carved in stone. And I don't necessarily mean just stone, but the things that uh, came from people who wanted to leave a mark. If you are from a group of people that existed on this planet and you left no trace, we don't know about you. <laughs> and I just find that fascinating because how, I mean, how do we present history as fact? We'll never know. We will never know the full picture. Yeah. Rome, for instance, a couple hundred years before Christ went through an era they call the uh, the Dark Ages of Rome. And uh, when we say dark ages, you know, like England went through a dark ages, what do we mean? Um, we mean a time when, like, there wasn't a focus on science, the state was not in control, there wasn't a focus on uh, literacy. So archaeologists hate this. They call it the dark ages because it's a blank spot. There's no recorded things. But, you know, with society came a lot of evils, um, a lot more war, a lot more slavery, new sicknesses, the first pandemics. Um, a whole lot of things came from getting this many people and animals living in close proximity together like this. And it was very fragile. The amazing thing is that civilization took hold at all. The odds are against this. There's so many thing, bad things that come from it. And over and over in distant history, what we see is when these things show up, people escape. Um, they talked about the Great Wall of China. It said that the Great Wall of China was built as much to keep people in as to keep the barbarians out. People were trying to get out of society. That's why they had, they had slaves and soldiers and coercion and taxes and all these ways to suck you in, bring you in, control you. Because as soon as people could, they fled. And when enough people fled, 
They call it the Dark Ages. Literacy was something that the elite used. They would write down. They'd tell the history. And, of course, those are the things left behind that the archaeologists find. But when it went back to the oral tradition, um, there's nothing for archaeologists to find. It's just a dark part of history. But there's all kinds of evidence that actually this served people in a more healthy, it was a happier time during these dark ages. And as an example, he gave um, Homer's, you know, the blind poet, um, the Odyssey, and the Iliad was actually from an oral tradition that came out of the Dark Ages period. It was a time that indicates that people were thinking of fantastic poems and stories. And um, it just happened to be one of the few that when they picked up literacy again after the Dark Ages, they remembered it and wrote it down. So we still have it to read. But uh, it comes from an oral tradition. And, you know, what it speaks of that time, you know, like it's not a time of, uh, you know, Homer's not going to sit around a blind man. A blind man sitting around. Obviously, he's got help. And who's able to help a blind man other than people that are doing all right themselves? Yeah. And he's got time to think of like a fantastic story like the Odyssey and then a sequel. <laughs> These aren't dark, like horrible suffering times, you know? There was a lot of like rich, uh, I don't know, just good human living. An absence of the metaverse, you might say. Yeah. Not simulation, but reality. Real, real, real. Mm. Well, what I've been reading, uh, I just finished not too long ago, was that same book. Uh, not that Gumby read. The same book that I mentioned in last season's podcast, The Ox Herder and the Good Shepherd, Shepherd by Addison Hodges Hart. And this book is so adorable. It's like just over 100 pages. It just takes me forever to read it because... I don't stay focused. Um, but just a brief synopsis. Uh, if you've never heard of the 10 ox herding pictures, this book um, does a really good job of describing the meaning and sharing the poetry that goes along with the images. Um, these images come from the 12th century Chinese Zen master Kakuan Xian, who depicts this ox herder who has lost his ox, metaphorically speaking, um, where the ox kind of represents the natural state of your mind, like the the state of mind where you're at peace, the state of mind where uh, you're present. And yeah, go ahead. I always thought the ox was just like your mind, period. You seem to, are you saying that the ox, in your interpretation, represents a state of mind where you are present and at peace? Well, it's, it's I, interesting. I thought like your, your mind is the ox, and so it can be untamed or it can be tamed. Yeah, you can look at it that way. And in the story that the pictures show, the boy, the thing that really impressed me the most was the ox herder, who's this boy in the picture, he finds out that this ox wasn't lost. His mind wasn't lost. His, he had within him this Buddha mind the whole time. But because his mind wasn't clear, because his mind was like kind of messed up, uh, he had to go on this whole adventure of like looking for the ox and then finding the ox and then taming the ox. But really, 
it's our natural state of mind. Yeah, isn't there a, like when he finally finds the ox, he talks about how humongous it is, right? Yeah. And I think yeah. of that as kind of like the fish and water thing, like the fish doesn't see water. So he's looking for the ox and he at first there's no sign of the ox and then he starts seeing tracks like, oh, here's a sign of my mind. It's like he's just beginning to see like I'm in a story of my own creation. Yeah. And then by the time he sees the ox, it's not like, oh, I think that's him in the distance. It's like everything is the ox. It's huge. It's all encompassing. Like, oh, my God, I'm inside my mind. I've been looking for it this whole time. And like, here's the water. That's how I like always read that part. Yeah, I wrote down one of the bits of poetry from the uh, the book um, that's actually Kakuan Shin's, I'm probably really butchering that name. It's his poetry that goes with the pictures. And he says, if I but listen to the everyday sounds, I will come to realization and in that moment see the source. As soon as my senses are in harmony, they are no different than the true source. In all my activities, the source is manifestly present. When my vision is rightly focused, I find it not apart from myself. And so that's, I mean, as as big of a task as it is, that's really one of the main skills that I'm trying to focus on is staying focused. Like yeah. that is my biggest hurdle right now. Yeah, it's like you're seeing the ox. You can see that you're trapped in your mind and you're trying to tame the ox because I like after he tames it, he rides it home. Mm-hmm. And it's like he doesn't kill the ox. It's not about getting rid of your mind. It's about taming it and using it. Like once you've tamed it, it's a useful tool. Mm -hmm. He rides it home. And then like the last few pictures are like, he realizes there's no ox, there's no whip, there's no, there's no hut. There's no, like, it's pretty much a negation of everything, right? Yeah. There's a picture where there's just nothing in the picture. It's just, yeah. It's like the whole thing. He realizes like, it's like the, the waves in the ocean, like, oh my God, like the mind was a big epiphany that everything is my mind but now i've just stepped back even further and i realized like i alone am like the buddha said like there's only is it's bigger than my mind yeah it's the ultimate negation and then the last picture is him returning to the marketplace like you know uh what carry wood carry water uh, chop wood like they say you know what is there's that story where a, a student asked the master, like, what is enlightenment? And the master drops his tools. And he said, well, what do you do after enlightenment? And the master picks up his tools and keeps walking. <laughs> and so he returns to the marketplace because just his presence, you know, he's not there to preach or change people, but just his presence of somebody who's finally got it, who tamed the ox. Like, uh, as Whitman says, we don't convince by our rhymes and similes and arguments we convince by our presence oh yeah <laughs> yeah so i i do recommend that book and i'm probably uh if the library will allow me i'm gonna try and read it again and like i don't know i just want to reabsorb it because at first i was yeah i read it twice in a row <laughs> i was like i don't know gumby says this is a great book and i'm like eh, it's kind of starting out slow but once you get like past the first two chapters then you're like oh Whoa, and it's such a short book. It's like, okay, I'm going to go back and read it again. So yeah, The Ox Herder and the Good Shepherd by Addison Hodges Hart. And Gumby, did you have anything else you wanted to talk about in this? Uh... 
My, my, my throat's getting a little bit tired, so I'm like, I had a few things on my list, but there's one thing before we get to the end that I guess I wouldn't mind talking about as far as like kind of current events that we haven't been able to talk about. I thought it was interesting that whole thing happening in Vermont and other places, that pornography in school. Oh, yeah. So what do you remember about that book? You usually got a better memory of like this kind of stuff than I do, but... What can you remember as far as title, what's in the book, what it talks about, any details like that? And I'll try to fill in if I remember anything you don't. The but anyway, I guess I'll, I should set it up for our audience, <laughs> what I'm talking about. There's a book that is getting um, introduced in public libraries and libraries in schools, and it's getting some kind of low number. This number has to do with what grade student can read the book, and they've lowered this number to make it like something that is encouraged for like fourth graders and fifth graders. And... Um, you know, it's not just like, oh, here's some gay characters. Ooh, everybody's so upset about the gay characters or the trans character. It is blatant pornography. It is stuff that, if it was a heterosexual equivalent, wouldn't be allowed anywhere near a fucking school. And if you read, like, any of this to a kid, you'd be arrested. And I'd say rightly so. It's fucking absolutely inappropriate. It's uh, not just pornography. It is, uh, like, going into the area of pedophilia. I of like adults with kids. We call those we we don't call them pedophiles. minor attracted persons. Yeah, yeah fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, the name of the book is Gender Queer. At least that particular book. There's actually, uh, from what I heard, a list of books yeah, that the blonde boy or something. Yeah, I don't remember, but that particular book is it's like in a cartoon style. So the pictures of uh, I can't even keep up. I think it was a woman that wrote the book, who's a teacher, by the way, of, of school age children, like young school children. Um, and she wanted to share her experience of being genderqueer and how she fantasized about having a cock and she like got a strap on and had her partner suck the, yeah, the dildo thing. Yeah. Tasting her vagina slime. I quote. Uh, yeah. So this book has been, um, brought to the attention of, a few school boards in the United States. Yeah, there's a video going around out there, if you can find it, of uh, some parents got a hold of this book, and they're like, what the fuck is this doing in our kid's library? And so they go to a meeting with the school board, and the parent, one of the parents takes that book up there and starts reading out of it, and they threaten to throw her out. They silence her because they say it is inappropriate for the school board meeting. And, um, you know, some of the people have said, well, I didn't know this was in the library, and the parents are like, that's the problem. Why don't you know this is in the library? I can't even read this out at the school board meeting. This room is full of adults and you've got it in my fucking kid's library. And this shit, like, people, now that people are, like, figuring out this is in there and some people are protesting, there's very little being done to stop it. One guy in Vermont, this was in Burlington, Josh Slocum, as a matter of fact, as a podcast, uh, disaffected, mm-hmm. um, he actually brought it to the local authorities' attention, like, um, actually, I think a mother that was talking to him, but somebody in Burlington, Vermont, and the authorities said they couldn't do anything. Outright pornography in schools, and they're like, well, yeah, we can't really get involved. This really isn't our thing. School board's not doing anything except saying, we'll look into it. I mean, it's, yeah, like when we were talking earlier, and I was like flying off about how crazy shit's gotten. I mean, this is an example, like, Slocum, uh, to quote him, he says, they're, they're after your kids. 
I'm a gay man and I'm looking at the marketing here. I'm looking at the cereal boxes that say, you know, what are your preferred pronouns? I'm looking at the, you know, the gay butt monkey reading at children's libraries with his ass hanging out and a fake cock hanging down. I'm looking at this pornography where like people are giving each other blowjobs for fourth graders. What the fuck is this? How is this helpful for kids? It's not even about whether you believe this shit should be done or not. It's like these are kids. Why is it being fed to them? They are after your kids. And one of the things that I feel like is going on behind this, they don't give a shit about trans people. Nobody gives a shit about trans people in the fucking like government or anything. It's not about like, ooh, they're these poor, they're fragile rights. It's about what we can condition people to do. If we can separate people from their bodies and tell them that their bodies is just a, a social construct, well, fucking simulation, it's just another level of simulation. Yeah. The metaverse is not far away from that. You can I be... mean, why not get an avatar? Like, you want to be a woman? Well, the surgery, you know, we can say that you're actually a woman, but come on, we all know that, like, it's not really perfect. A good doctor could tell, you know, and so you're so depressed you might kill yourself. But you know what would make you feel better? What if you had an avatar and everybody's a simulation and that your simulation is every bit as much of a woman as any other simulation in the metaverse? Every road leads to this metaverse. This thing is fucking awful. Yeah. This is where they've been trying to take us for a while. But, yeah, I guess that was just my last thought. If you have any other thoughts on that, that's something I wanted to uh, bring up. Nope. I'm just trying to stay focused, and um, I know, I know, I keep saying I hope I am going to keep working on my skills because I, I really don't think uh, the future here, I don't know, if I don't make a little place for myself, I don't know if there's going to be a place for me. And my final thought, if we're there, yeah, is basically this. Um, I'd say, like, you know, like I said, it's obvious I'm feeling a lot of stress, a lot of anger. I mean, there's fucking CRT that's, like, calling itself anti-racist, and some of the, and it's some of the most racist shit I've ever fucking heard. Um, there's the vaccine passports. There's the vaccine mandates, you know, like, people telling you suddenly what you have to do with your own body if you want to participate in society. Um, and, wow, it's not just once, is it? Booster shot after booster shot after booster shot. And who knows what the fuck this shit is. I'm hearing so many stories that I'm not getting more put at ease. I'm getting more suspicious of this shit. Um, There's the transhumanism. This whole, like, choosing simulation over reality. This whole... uh, I don't even know where to start with that shit. I mean, it's like we just started learning about it, like, right before the big move got made, and now it's everywhere. The throttle has been pushed There's forward. the wokeism, these fucking fraggle-haired motherfuckers. Has anybody checked what is in that hair dye? Maybe it's not healthy to have that shit that close to your brain. That's a good point, actually. Right? I don't know what that stuff is. Yeah. But Jesus Christ, you can't talk to these people. And what hope are they leaving for the next generation? Because they're teaching them the same fucked up ideology. They're villainizing logic itself. You used to be able to talk to people and maybe like make some headway because you could have a conversation and like, okay, I see your point of view. Now with cancel culture and censorship and fucking villainizing logic itself, you can't even reason with these people. They're teaching the younger generations that you can only 
judge a book by its cover. Don't even open it to read it. Just judge it. And I would say this, with all of that happening, if it's pissing you off like it's pissing me off, do some alchemy. You fucking take all that shit, you take all that anger, you take all that fucking worry, you take all that anxiety, and that is fuel. It is only debilitating if you don't turn it into something else. It's fuel. It's fire. You push that shit through your fucking veins and you do something with it. For me, the only thing that makes sense is working on survival skills. You know, I've heard a lot of stuff about, ooh, taking down the phone tower and all that shit. Nobody does that because it's a bad idea. They just build a fucking another one. Push it into something constructive. Push that energy into, like, a reminder of this is why I'm, I'm coal-burning this bowl. This is why I'm learning how to, like, flint nap. This is why. Remind yourself of what's happening out there in the world and get free of it. Break free of it. And somebody's going to need your help someday. Some, Maybe some kid. Maybe some kid, like, is looking around right now and doesn't know how to get out of this shit. They need more fucking adults to role model that there is a way out of this shit. And that need, I think, is going to grow greater really quick. I already see it in the kids we work with, you know? Like, I mean, they, they, they have this vague, even the, there's a couple girls that like aren't really the woodsy type, but I see it in all kids. I've always seen it in all kids. There's this weird magnetic, well, it's not that weird, this magnetic pull to the wildness that is still in them. They feel it. There's something that's calling them. They need more adults that can help them get there badly. Turn that fucking rage into fuel and use it. And, um, I ran into this roomy, uh, quote, poem, online, and I wanted to share it as kind of one of my final thoughts, and I just thought it was beautiful, and it kind of goes in line with what we're talking about this episode. He writes, run from what's comfortable, forget safety, live where you fear to live, destroy your reputation, be notorious. I love that. (laughs) Fuck them. Get fearless. Yeah, I, uh, I like that, too, because it reminds me of the listener write-in that I'm going to read, which is from Gabe, who visited us. Gabriella. Uh, and she, she is such an alchemist. I really, really loved like meeting her, learning more about her, and I hope when she passes through um, again, if she passes through again here, um, that we get to hang out with her again. Yeah. I didn't say much about Gabe when you were talking about her at the beginning of the episode, but let me say here, I really enjoyed her visit too. And, uh, um, Teresa and I were both commenting when she left, like, man, she was like such a, just real, like down to earth person. Yeah. Um, intelligent, like, you know, I enjoyed talking to her around the fire. Um, you know, we were getting into some of the current events and everything and, um, has an interest in survival skills, is obviously, like you said, you know, somewhat fearless because she's out there and traveling around, like following her adventures. Yeah. And, um, yeah. It's she was like drying daylily leaves inside her car. Yeah. I mean, so that is of, a that is a person you want to know <laughs> when the apocalypse happens. And that's part of what we were hoping to accomplish through these podcasts is to meet people just like her. So I'm really happy that we uh, had that opportunity. So Gabe from Rochester, New York writes, Hey there, Teresa and Gumby. I am currently traveling down the East Coast doing volunteer work through WWOOF. I don't know what that stands for. Woof! Woof. I love your podcast, and I'm wondering if you will be doing any adult survival skills trainings anytime soon. I would love to participate, if so. 
Thanks for proving there is another way to live in this world. I love the podcast and the YouTube channel. Very inspiring and informative. And you're very inspiring and informative, Gabe, and I appreciate you dropping in and hanging out with us crazy-ass hobos. And, uh, gosh, yeah, I can't sing her praises enough, and I hope her and Sophie, her dog, are enjoying their stay down in uh, Florida doing their woofing. And we don't teach survival classes for adults, but uh, I will say if anybody else happens to be, like, around the area and wants to uh, drop by and, like, meet up with us... um, I definitely intend on to, to be working on something all the time, like hopefully for the rest of my life. So I'll be more than happy to, if anybody wants to swing by and visit, to share whatever I'm working on. Yeah, you did that before when we were at the trailer. You were like working on clay stuff, firing clay and all that. And if people wanted to drop by and just learn how to fire clay in the campfire, big campfire in the backyard. Yeah. You're welcome. And it gives us, uh, you know, motivation because, like, if somebody's coming by, we're like, yeah, well, let's, <laughs> let's get off our asses and work on something. Exactly. So, uh, once again, Gabe, thank you. And if you all listeners out there, if you want to write in, um, you can do so on our website, escapingsociety.weebly.com. There's a contact form there. We have a Facebook page, even though that scam message said that we were inauthentic. I think we're pretty damn authentic. Um, Facebook page, Escaping Society, and we have a YouTube channel um, that you can access uh, from our website and a donate button because, uh, I don't know, because at some point we spend money, but I don't know. <laughs> at, some point. at some point, every time we go to town, we, we <laughs> tend to buy things. So um, if you want to help us out, if you've listened to our podcasts or YouTube channels and found anything useful, we would uh, appreciate the donation. And is there anything else? All right. Thanks for listening. Bye. And we don't need it It's killing your kids So why do you feed it? They'll tell you to stay But you don't need to heed it You can give them the finger There's no time to linger So Thank you for listening to our song It's not very good And it went kind of long Don't care if you like it Cause we'll be gone Over that next horizon We ain't got no address